I am Leroy Hill and this is Let's Talk E-Learning. This podcast series shares success tips on e-learning, distance education and online teaching excellence through active dialogue with authors and speakers inviting them to unpack their recent and current research thinking on various e-learning themes. The views shared by guest speakers are their own. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Rohan Jawala. Dr. Rohan Jolowa is an educator for over 30 years with teaching and research experience in the Caribbean, England, and USA setting. His teaching experience includes teaching online, face-to-face, blended, and he is a well-sought-after international speaker. He draws from his life experiences and experiences of others to stimulate thoughtful and engaging conversations on critical issues that impact our lives daily. You know, Dr. Jalowa has presented at international conferences and has had several peer-reviewed publications and has also had a published book, which we're going to discuss today, and several published book chapters. Dr. Jawala has a passion for addressing education, uh, social justice, inclusion, diversity. He holds an ED in Language and Literacy in Education from University of Sheffield in England, an M.Ed. In Special Needs and Inclusion Studies from Open University England, a Bachelor's in Psychology from Open University England, Graduate Certificate in Teaching and Learning in Higher Education from the University of Wolverhampton, Diploma in Secondary Education from Bethlehem Moravian College in Jamaica, and a Certificate in Social Work from the University of the West Indies School of Continuing Studies. Dr. Jawala is currently employed at the University of Central Florida as a senior instructional designer. If you haven't checked his YouTube, you should. He has over 100 videos connected to his research interest. He is currently um, with over 1,000 subscribers and produce contents every week. And so today, I would like to welcome Dr. Jawala to Let's Talk E-Learning. Welcome, Dr. Jawala. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the invitation and I look forward to interactive discussion. You know, I've been following your presentations on social media where you're constantly pushing the status quo to you know, include even using artificial intelligence in your sessions. You know, how would you describe your philosophy of e-learning or online education? What special interests guide uh, your thinking and practice? Well, that's a loaded question to begin with. However, however let me state that as a child, I just love technology. I'm not a scientist, but I believe that educators are learning engineering. In summary, we must apply evidence-based practice and be able to enhance students' learning. I think it's all about the experience. Hence, when I use AI as my co-presenter, and I have several of them, have Pat, have Sue, have Mary, I carefully consider the audience and the attention span of the audience that I'm going to be presenting to. The reality is that when we look at the AI presenter, we're saying as educators, we have to embrace the technology. And as we look forward to new and emerging technologies, we have to understand that where we stand now, that the role of educators and support staff within institutions will change. It will also change our traditional models of teaching and learning. In looking at 
the next segment of your question, you asked me about my philosophy of education as it relates to e-learning or online education. Yes. But I think there are several pillars that I have when it comes on to my philosophy. I think about inclusion. I think about online presence. I think about quality. For me, inclusion, I must say, has to do with removing the potential barriers in that online learning space. It has to do with addressing learners' needs within that space too. And when I think about addressing learners' needs, I'm also thinking about who am I online? So it takes me back to my online presence. I must be socially and emotionally connected to my students. And when I talk about emotional connection, I think that's lacking sometimes. I must be mm. sensitive that the external world would influence what I'm doing in my classroom in the online space. Hence, I have to consider that. I think teaching is one of the wonderful gifts that you have, the ability to do it online or face-to-face. -face. So therefore, the students I support must be supported within the instructional way, the correct way. I must be able to design my assignments to meet the needs of my students. Hence, I think as you move along the trajectory of teaching, I want to say that in my philosophy, I mm -hmm. think that teaching should be a social practice. Oh. We've moved away from saying that teaching is connected to social interactions, to putting courses online without any human element. So I think when we think about standards and we think about that, it's good. And mm -hmm. my final strand of my philosophy has to do really with ensuring that there is quality. There must be quality in the design. There must be quality in the process of learning. There must be quality in the management of that online course. I want to end this segment, since you asked me that question, by just saying to listeners that there will never be a perfect course. However, I would say to you, the course is always a work in practice. Therefore, you have to use student feedback to improve the course itself. So my philosophy is bungled in inclusion, online presence, quality, and of course, ensuring that the learner is always getting the best possible experience. Thank you. Uh, just teasing through one of your most cited publications, you know, I, 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 and, and both Semantic and Google Scholar, uh, was your 2014 publication. You looked at a case study involving graduate students where you were able to draw on more transactional distance theory as well as this cognitive framework, uh, not just to, that guide your research framework. And I, I know Moore's advocated for the need of quality. And I think I can see where you, you draw on the whole idea of quality dialogue, um, quality and then quality dialogue when you look at communication for online learners. You know, I, I'd, I'd really want, if you were to sh give a sales speech for, for this article for, for our listeners, what were the key findings, what were the lessons, what were the implications for us, not just in 2014, but us to us here in 2022? And, you know, as we are now dovetailing into remote teaching, more online, more blended, um, and what, what, what do you have to share with our, our listeners? Yes, I, thanks for that question and that movement towards that. And I say I must recognize someone who inspired me to write this article, and that was Dr. Kaboni. She's an outstanding educator. When you look at communication for online learners, it is fundamental. Students enter the learning exchange or that learning platform, they get lost easily. So you have to manage that process. You know, when I taught in the Caribbean and I was doing research, 
with students doing graduate work, we realized that we had everything set. We had a course outline, we had everything, but what was missing was a kind of communication necessary to take them to a different level, especially when you're doing research. You need to be asking questions. So we designed several little items that we would insert in the course. One was a research forum at the start. Everyone will go through where they will go through and do their research proposal and they would get feedback. The second would be presentation of data. So I would say that using this model, I would say that it allowed students to feel more connected to what they were doing. The online seminar approach was tremendous. As a matter of fact, students were able to hear other students present and that's a form of communication as it relates to collaborative learning. They were able to ask questions about their research area and also they were able to get exchange or information from experts in the field. So when I look at that, that was 2014 and I look now where we're going, we have to ensure that there is sort of a balance. Mm -hmm. We don't want to move on and say, you know what, you know, we went to remote learning, so there's no need for that connection. It's important because when you talk about isolation, you don't want to isolate the learner. I think the best way forward is to have a mechanism of communication. If we look around today, we realize that online course needs to have the, the online interaction necessary. For example, if you were to consider interaction, you have to think about how you can use a technology for that interaction. So when more, more talk about using technology, I would say we have to use technology to bring our students closer to us. Mm -hmm. For example, yesterday I was marking some work in Canvas and Canvas is a LMS that I very I love, I love it. I, just, <laughs> I don't know if you've used it. Or yes, I've, it. I have, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I was able to communicate with students by just saying, you know what? You got over 90%. Well done. Continue to work hard. And I just sent one email, but everyone got their individual emails within mm. the context of sending messages. And for those who were not doing well, I sent a short message you know, you might want to ensure that you follow what's happening because your success is my success because that's emotional presence coming in. Mm, I want yeah. my students to be successful. And if I can show concern, I'm increasing the communication. And if I'm increasing that communication flow, it means that, guess what? I'm giving attention to learning, pointing mm -hmm. back to my philosophy. So when we look at our management system, we have to use a technology to communicate more to our online learners. And we must Again, remember that connection is necessary because learning is a social process. Yeah, and I, 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 I you know, I, I hear you speaking a lot, uh, you know, subconsciously about active learning. And, you know, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. And today we hear quite a bit about it. I mean, the need for active uh, learning, active engagement, particularly within the higher education setting. And now that we have the COVID pivot, the transition or the COVID transition, it has certainly heightened uh, uh, this. And I was happy to note that in your you, that you explored this back in, in your 2008 publication, even before 2014, using technology-supported learning to develop active learning um, in the higher education setting. You want to unpack that a little bit for us? Yes, thanks. 2008, I was in England. I was working with a university and they were moving online and they were using some form of technology, which was very cumbersome at that time. And I looked at it and said, how could we engage students? So you had to design for that process. 
Now, if we look and we have moved beyond a certain point, and I'm saying to myself, whoa, when you asked me that question, it has been a long time. <laughs> but notwithstanding, there are some things about that article that I would want to tend to reflect on. And if I were to write it again, I would have to go deeper because I think within COVID and the context of this time, I would have to go deeper to make or to ensure that I address the first several issues, for example. First, when we use technology, I want educators not just to use technology for saying, I'm going to have active learning, but to use it in such a way that it affords students to learn. So when you think about active learning, I'm thinking about purposeful engagement for cognitive processes to be in operation so students can know the content and can apply and can reach the self, their self-actualization in knowing that they learn something. So when you, I just don't want technology to be added on. The second, mm -hmm. if I were to change something about that article, I would have addressed the issue of inclusivity as it relates to technology to a greater extent. You know, I don't think our system is presently flexible enough to ensure all users have accessibility, it, um, compliance, are, everything that we have is accessible to students. I don't think we're there yet. In addition, I don't believe that when we reflect on our stuff, we are really considering the impact of these technologies as it relates to artificial intelligence. So why I talk about technology, at that point, artificial intelligence and these factors were not a part of it. So no, I'm saying to myself, when you're using technology-based learning designs, we have to now consider what sort of technology we're talking about. And I think where we're going, it's going to be in the phase of algorithms doing a lot of work behind the scenes, and that is going to be cause for concern. Hence, one of my real thought at this point in time is, can we build a system or will we be able to build a system that doesn't discriminate as it relates to learners, regardless of where they are? You know, in the Caribbean, the content that is presented to them is neutral rather than biased. We see our history books being reflected from a position that was written by dominant publishers. Now, how do we get that in that sort of technology in, in, in interactive sort of design to allow students to understand that listen, this, these are the facts and be able to do it. So I think technology is going to be driving a lot of these sort of technology-based learning designs and we have to ensure that we address this. And finally, if I were to change something about it, I would have stressed more the issue of having balance between technology and pedagogy. Mm -hmm. Where I stand now, I see technology moving so fast that people are not thinking about the pedagogical issues or the risk as it relates to the safety of users. For example, virtual reality, meta has come on the scene yes. and <laughs> a lot of people are engaged in this, mm -hmm. but they are not considering the, the, the possible dangers of this technology. Yes, it can be used to do so many things, but right now it's an it's just as unsafe era to venture into into that space, especially for young children yes. and for young people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the first time Dr. Hill, I went into a room and I was doing a VR, someone showed me something that I was not expecting. And I had to just mm -hmm. jump out and I heard the laughters in. They had purposely done that. No, just imagine a child. Yes. on the age of 14 being exposed to that. So when I think about technology-based learning designs, 
and what we're doing with technology, we have to think because now we are in the area of artificial intelligence. How are we going to cope and yeah. what pathway we're going to ensure that as we use these technologies, students are safe. I think just before the pandemic in February 2020, you published a book on organization and inclusivity, you know, where you focus on critical reflections for transformation. I am I'm reading the Crindle version and I love how you've integrated your personal experience, how you allow the themes to really show up in the book, uh, to really recommend to viewers. I I I I, I want to recommend to them to get their own copy. And what insight would you give um you know, given our present and post-COVID setting, what additional chapter theme would you consider adding to the book? Or would you think, okay, yes, I think I was being prophetic in this book. Um, because you, you, you published this just before February 2020. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd been working on this book for quite some time. And, you know, we had to put the, the launch off a bit. And when I, I said, you know what, just published. And I did. But... Having looked back on that work, I think the work is still current because we have not reached that pinnacle yet of inclusion in our society, in the Caribbean and in the United States, because I think inclusion is not just a complete process. It's going to be a continuous process that you have to work toward. And if I were to reflect on what happened as I wrote that book and I go in, in the time when I was writing it, I wanted people to understand that for us to have an inclusive society, we need to critically, re critically reflect on ourselves and make purposeful action for change. Mm -hmm. Unless we make that change, the process of reflection is useful, useless rather, is useless. And I realize that many individuals have been moving down the line when they're, when, and they have not considered the issue of reflecting for change. I've gone through the process and continue to go through the process of critical reflection. However, if I had to add another chapter to this book with COVID-19 in mind, I would write another chapter and I would title this chapter, Damaging Discourses for Inclusion. Mm -hmm. I think when we look at COVID-19, we can see that our society has become more divisive in nature. This mainly is caused by our technology. People have no content at their fingertips. They can just look on their phone and they can just have this addictive algorithm pushing content to them um, that, that, that gives them that, that, that level of content they want. So in many cases, I think we have to really look at how technology is moving and how it has created discourses in our society that is practically damaging for the process of inclusion. Because if we look at inclusion, there must be a balance. And where we stand now, there's no balance as it relates to these sort of discourses. There's no individual saying, all right, you know what, let's look at from it from a national perspective. How can we inform our populace that, listen, we want a balance in the system. And I think many of our politicians, our leader and leaders really have been influential in damaging the process of inclusion based on their continuous talk. Wow, this is this is certainly uh, mind. It's it, it's certainly be mindful of of the experiences that you've had, and I can I can hear you really talking the the inclusive uh, walk. It's not just a talk, but it's also um, uh, the challenges that we have to face as educators in in trying to convince 
um, you know, uh, technocrats, the need to be inclusive in, in, in not just thinking, but also in practice. And, and so I really want to give you the final opportunity to say any, any closing words. We, we, this is our final uh, minute. That's the final minute. So I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to give any closing, um, closing words. Yeah, I, I would say for listeners listening in, the next five years as it relates to technology, education will be life-changing. We have seen that. And as you engage with these new and emerging technologies, think about safety. Think about how you are going to pass on the guidance to your students, your children around you. And I think you have to, as a person who is going to be using these technologies, think carefully about your own lifestyle. You don't want to be addicted to these technologies because they're so addictive by nature, because that's mm -hmm. what they're intended to do. Yeah. So, so therefore you have to find time. So as you think about post-COVID moving forward, I, I'm, I'm saying to people listening in, rather than having these short videos, taking something long, extend the mind so your attention span can also be lengthened because I realize that <laughs> that's another issue which I'm going to be addressing next two weeks because I realize that how far can we plan as educators? We started five minutes. Now someone said, you know what, three minutes and then we're going to say zero. Mm. So we have to be very careful. <laughs> so these are a lot of thoughts coming in, but mm. we have to be very careful of how we use technology. And that would be my final thought. Dr. Jawala, thank you for spending time with us at Let's Talking Learning. <laughs>